That cold case you're listening to? Nasty stuff. But you know what else is a crime? Missing even a moment of whatever you're doing to go on a drink run. Luckily, there's Drizzly, the number one app for alcohol delivery. With Drizzly, you can compare prices on the biggest selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered in under 60 minutes. So download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com today. Hey everybody, welcome to Performance Anxiety, part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mark. Don Ralph from Life in a Blender joins us today. They have a new EP out called Satsuma, and it's kind of special. Not only does it contain six great new songs, five of which were inspired by the Bushwick Book Club, but there's also beautiful artwork and a cocktail recipe for each track. But we go a lot deeper than that. Don talks about how his musical journey began in a Poughkeepsie dump. And if you think the name Life in a Blender is offbeat, you should hear the alternatives. As this pandemic lingers on, Life in a Blender's new 20-page EP of music, art, and booze is a real gift. Check it out on Fang Records. Follow them on social media. Follow us at Performance ANX. Subscribe, rate, and review. And check us out on kofi.com slash performanceanxiety. And consider treating us to a single cup of coffee. We'll all share it. There's no commitment. Now let's mix it up with Don Ralph of Life in a Blender on Performance Anxiety, part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Yeah, I'll just wing it here and you can tell me. So just go ahead. Okay. This is Don Ralph of Life in a Blender. We have a brand new album out with six songs called Satsuma, filled with cocktail recipes and original art. And you're listening to Performance Anxiety. How are you doing? Good. I should have checked out your show, but um, maybe you can tell me all about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible. Nobody listens. And, uh, <laughs> hey, it's like our band. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, man. I've been enjoying the album. Oh, great. Great. Albums, actually. I went back and started listening to some of the older stuff. We've been around forever. Yeah, I see that. I see that. <laughs> so that, that's awesome. That usually means you're actually not bad. <laughs> right. Usually. The fact that we keep going. We're, we're stubborn. Exactly. Just don't quit. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't know us. <laughs> In some ways. You know, it's good to have a fr- fresh ears. Yeah. Yeah. I know, you know, sometimes people come in with, uh, like that with no preconceptions, which is good. Otherwise, you're pegged from some sort of previous old reviews. You know, people knew us from the 80s. And they think, <laughs> oh, you sound just like this. And, this, and you're always going to be a certain way. But yeah, exactly. Good when people come in fresh exactly and i kind of did it backwards because i listened to the new album first and then started going back so i don't know if that helped or or what but uh i did enjoy what i was listening to so great so it's it's really cool and i want to talk about the new album but i want to find out a little bit more about how we how we got well, we, I didn't have anything to do with it, but how you <laughs> no, guys. you had a big hand in it. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I'm saying, you know what? It's funny because I had, an, I had a huge part in it, but I'd never heard you before. <laughs> right. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Amazing how that works. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's just, it's a Northeastern thing. I, I lived in New Jersey for 13 years. It's, it's. Oh, well, there you go. It's the Northeast connection. It is. And the New Jersey connection. Yes. <laughs> so what I wanted to find out first is, is how you got to where you are. So 
I want to know how you got into music in the first place. Did you grow up in a musical household or were you the black sheep that wanted to do music from the beginning or what was, what was your early musical experiences like? Um, the house wasn't musical. I, I grew up with three, uh, siblings, two brothers and a sister, and they didn't play any instruments. And my dad played by ear, which is sort of how I learned to oh, piano cool. in the basement, a big upright piano and a big, a big player piano that used to pump, you know, like a bicycle and hold on to the bottom of the piano and oh, wow. get good exercise and pump it. And so that was the only instrument in the house, but I would start to write songs on that first. And then, um, I mean, my incredible story about getting to music is that in probably in junior high, I there used to be a dump near my house in Poughkeepsie. <laughs> and any and, story that starts with a dump is great in my opinion. <laughs> and, um, I was, we would walk through the dump to Veter's pharmacy to get comics. And I was walking through the dump, following my three friends through the dump as we would. And then I, I stepped on this box and I was like, you know, what is this? What am I stepping on in the dump? And I looked down and there's a guitar. I mean, I couldn't believe it, but it was a guitar case. Opened it up. It was a 12 string guitar and it was almost in great condition. So it was like, this was a sign to say, let's start writing some songs. Wow. So, so I take from junior high, but then my friends were like, well, wait a minute, just cause you stepped on it, you get it. And I was like, well, I think that's, that's fair. <laughs> yeah. I, hey, you know, find the old finders keepers. Right, right. So it starts with the guitar and a dump, and then you know, it sort of takes off from there. I've never and heard then, a story uh, like that. I mean, it was incredible. It was one of those incredible things. Like, can you believe? I, mean, I remember coming home with it and saying, like, "Look what I found in the dump." And then, then I thought, like, what happened? Did somebody was it a singer songwriter who had like a breakup and he was writing songs? It's like, you know, screw this. I'm I'm done with love, and I'm putting my guitar in the dump because it was a nice guitar and i was like why would somebody throw away a great guitar oh man and it's a and a 12 string at that jeez i know it's a 12 string anyway it had some warping so i did eventually trade it in and get a six string that was much better but you know that's because then the 12 string to start on a 12 string was a bit hard too oh yeah those extra strings it was <laughs> like ah this, this is hurting my fingers yeah screw this <laughs> let's go back to six i'll go back to the dump see if i can find a six string Right. Back to the dump. <laughs> so, so how, so kids how are listening out there? If you want to get into music, go straight to the dump. <laughs> just, yeah. Just go explore. You find a dump or you go to the dump. You may find a guitar or maybe a body. Either way, it's going to be an adventure. Right. <laughs> Either way, it's inspiration. Yeah. There's always adventure in a dump. That's, that's been my motto from living <laughs> tell, in New Jersey. Everyone. I'm trying to tell the youth of today that. Yeah. yeah. That was my motto when I lived in New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> right. Go oh, adventures in the dump. <laughs> <laughs> so how old were you when, when you found this, this guitar and, and when did you start actually playing in bands? Uh, you know, probably found it in junior high. So whatever age that is. And then the, in high school, we started, uh, and this is in Poughkeepsie, my friend, Dave Moody, who's still in the band. We, I, I was just, um, writing sort of rough songs and not playing super well. And then he was the pro musician in all the high school jazz band and all that. Uh -huh. So he could really play well. And then he really, um, help sort of get my songs, my uh, rudimentary songs that I'm knocking off on guitar together. And then uh, we wrote together this song called Poughkeepsie City of Sin back in the day oh, when wow. the gong show is on the air. That's what girls with nothing to do. 
standing on the corner of the avenue. Poughkeepsie, heart of the universe. In Poughkeepsie, it couldn't get worse. Poughkeepsie fulfills your every wish. Poughkeepsie, home of Hamilton fish. And so we had this song called Poughkeepsie City of Sin, and um, it became kind of a local hit back in the ancient days oh, wow. <laughs> if That's I say awesome. the year um, but, but um, you know so that we, that sort of took us off that we, we just wrote this one song together and then we got hooked and, and we went to the local club in Poughkeepsie called The Chance and they were doing a local gong show that was like a big deal at the time so we went and we entered and we were underage but we faked our age and we got in and then we we won the gong show that was the big thing oh wow it was a big there was a huge crowd there and it's full of smoke and people are <laughs> drinking and for us it was like this was great we, yeah. you know you, you get the bug right away oh yeah so so we wrote that song with Kipsy City of Sin and won the gong show you know in the local club and got all this attention and and we recorded it and made a single out there in Poughkeepsie and so in Poughkeepsie it was fun you know fun little thing and people to this day still say to me you know uh, some people will come up to me you don't know me and say oh you're Kipsy City of Sin and I'm like yeah yeah you know, oh my god I, that's awesome I know that phrase <laughs> <laughs> you have to be from Poughkeepsie to appreciate it yeah. <laughs> or from New Jersey yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I mean that's sort of the way you know we I got into music early on you know through that and uh, you know through my friend okay. I feel like I've always been lucky I feel like I've I'm the one who writes the songs, but I've always been lucky to work with people who really know how to play. Yeah. <laughs> was that actually life in a blender or were you uh, no, starting different bands uh, at that point? No, we were called batteries, not included back then. And that just was very short lived. Uh, it, just really for that one song. Okay. And then, uh, you know, and then, uh, basically we all went off to college and didn't play music for a while. And then in the eighties, we all, I mean, we all, Dave and I came back together and we're in Jersey city when we started the band. Oh boy. There you go. In the eighties. And, um, Oh man. And we had a great house and a basement and, uh, the drummer and Dave played bass and I was in the house and we could use the basement to rehearse and, and it was great. And the rent was, uh, 250 each. There were three of us. So we were each paying 250. I remember this like, Oh my God, those were the days. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. And we had the basement to rehearse it. So we had, you know, so it was great. Great arrangement. Oh man. So, so we, you know, Jersey city too. Oh yeah. Yeah. Where are you from in Jersey? Uh, I grew up in central Jersey in Branchburg. So it was, uh, right on the border of Somerset and Hunterdon counties. I was near Somerville. I was about, 30 minutes out of New Brunswick. About, it was almost like equidistant from New York City and Philly. I see. Yeah, yeah. So we were yeah. like central, like like right in the middle of the state. Great, great. Yeah. So, and did you, did you know uh, Uncle Floyd too? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's part of the, uh, you know, the musical landscape there for us back in the day. And, oh, yeah. Uh, we, we did a show once or maybe twice, but definitely once. But he, he, was sort of bouncing around as I remember it too from different, I, I think it was on, maybe there was a Jersey cable network. And anyway, I've always been a fan of his too, cause he's so, uh, you know, bizarre in his own right. Oh yeah. He's, <laughs> he's the character for sure. Oh yeah. I loved him. And Oogie the puppet. And, oh my uh, gosh. Yes. 
Holy crow. <laughs> Man. And he uses the puppets. He's an influence because I use a puppet now and then, too, on stage. That's part of the act sometimes. <laughs> I bring out this angry oh. sheep puppet called Rugged Rick, and he yells at the audience. Oh, my gosh. That's awesome. So we, we have some vaudeville elements along with the real musical songs. <laughs> so now, was that the, the, the vaudeville theatrical aspect of the music? I mean, was it there since the beginning? Uh, was theater uh, an influence to you in the early days? Well, we, let's see, I would be doing the band and then I also had an interest in doing, you know, skits and interest in, well, really an interest in doing weird skits. So <laughs> I would do this thing called uh, Blowhole Theater that we started also, uh, that was a variety show, but we gave, gave us an excuse to do skits okay. that we would do at McGovern's Bar in New York and we'd do this uh, Blowhole Theater variety show and Bar Best is probably our last location in Brooklyn and, you know, we keep doing it to this day. Um, right. So it's, it, it scratches the itch to do the uh, just do more uh, bizarre things, I guess you know skits and, and such. Yeah, just be more creative. Uh, yeah, yeah, and I mean, I think you know, try to bring that element into the music too. But somehow those worlds, like if you were doing more, trying to bring some humor into your band, it often felt like then they your your music would be taken seriously. So it was always a balance of, uh, of that. You know, there seemed right. to be some uh, pushback against that when you were saying, Hey, check out our music. Oh, well, you're that wacky man. Well, I don't, you know, I don't see yeah. it that way. <laughs> you're the weird owl kind of thing. Like, right. That's what we're, like doing. we're not weird out. We're not this parody weird owl band. I feel like we're doing serious music, but yes, there's a sense of you. Yeah, exactly. And that, that's the one thing I've noticed in going back through your discography is the, the great sense of humor in, in almost just every song really. are good songs too. I mean, that's what I think. So, but I think sometimes people do have that uh, bias when they say, ah, it's just funny stuff. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because most of the time when you think of songs with, or bands that use a lot of humor, you're thinking Weird Al, you're thinking Primus, you know, strange bands. Primus is a good example though, because Primus, I feel like, is, uh, uh, you know, they're really good music. Yes. Oh yeah, they're fantastic. Now, you're the singer in the band. Was singing something that you were doing from the beginning? From, from, from you know, uh, even from, you know, Poughkeepsie's City of Sin? Or? that minute in the dump, I just yeah. started singing. No, uh, <laughs> I mean, I wasn't singing necessarily, but, you know, it just as I started writing songs, it, it came and, you know, I don't feel like I'm the greatest singer, but, you know, I make the best of what I, with what I got. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Now, there's the core of the of life in a blender is you. There's your your buddy Dave Moody who you mentioned, and within a couple yeah. of years, you've got uh, Ken Meyer and uh, Al. Is it Houghton? Uh, right, Al Houghton. And yeah, I'm getting it. Learner. It's great you're bringing up all these guys. Al Houghton's the guitar player, and uh, he. We met him. We recorded the first album and every album 
I think he's helped record almost every album. Oh, um, good. Awesome. So we met uh, him, and then along the way, it just made sense that he uh, jump in and play guitar. So Al, and then Mark Lerner on bass, and Ken Meyer on drums, and Rebecca Weiner Tompkins on violin, and then Dave Moody, my old pal from junior high <laughs> yeah from my old kids so <laughs> right <laughs> so that's basically the the core of the band how did you meet these guys because they, they didn't all join at the same time no um you know there's just personnel changes as we went because people you know get different interests and all yeah. so i mean it was almost just uh natural i, I mean i feel like there's not too much interesting there that we just at one point, you know, we lost the drummer and went searching, you know, use the village voice and found Ken, the drummer and the voice, like oh, in the old yeah. days, you know, put yeah. an ad out <laughs> and audition drummers. And, and, and Al, we knew from recording with him at Dubway studios, okay. his studio, which is still going. And he's been, go, he's been doing Dubway back to when there was the music building up by the Port Authority and, uh, uh-huh. you know, had a little eight track studio and Madonna's oh, wow. in the building borrowing equipment from Al. <laughs> so he's been around <laughs> doing that forever and he's still got Dubway, but it's now down by the bull near wall street. That's where his studio is now. Oh wow! Um, and then Rebecca, I mean, at some point I think I wanted to do something with the violin and I had heard her play and we met at some party and I said, Hey, we should, I, I it was a little one-off show and you know, I met her and we tried that and I thought, Oh, she should jump in. And she just started to organically become part of the band. And then, uh, Mark Lerner, I know Dave, Dave at some point, Dave took off for law school, Dave Moody for a little while and left the band. And then we got another bass player. Mark Lerner came in for a while. Right. And okay. then Dave came back out of law school and said, Hey, I still want to do this. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see law. Life in the blender. You know, is, you can do law and music. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I guess they're not mutually exclusive. And it helps you guys out. <laughs> right. So how did you guys um, decide on the band name? Because Life in a Blender is an unusual name. <laughs> These are all tricky questions. <laughs> I mean, uh, let's see. Life in a Blender. Well, I remember, I mean, the, the answers to these aren't always interesting. Because I remember saying... We were going through all these different names, and we played under Danger Lump and <laughs> Mysterious, the Mysterious Floating Head. We played under, but none of them. See, I don't know why. Just it didn't seem to stick. And I don't at know. Some point, if I ever start a band, I'm stealing Danger Lump. <laughs> but see, we had that for a minute, and then somebody said, "Oh, that sounds like cancer. Everybody's going to hate that." And I said, "I didn't even think of that. I just thought." By a lump that is dangerous seemed funny at the time. It but then does. I said, Yeah, of course. Of course it's of course I have cancer. I didn't think of it. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh I know at one point I wrote all these names down and I had life in a bowl and I was like, How about life in a bowl? Isn't that great? And I remember, you know, somebody else in the band said, like, that's horrible. Life in a bowl, that stinks. And then somehow Blender, you know, came up, Life in a Blender, and we said, Okay, well let's let's go with that. And then you do one show and then you do another show and then suddenly a name that you think maybe is just a placeholder just keeps going because you you know, you've, you've played five shows suddenly Yeah, back in the day. You know, we played Snafu. I remember the first gig was at Snafu. I don't know if you know that. Club. I, that yes. Kelsey. I remember that. Yeah. I have heard of that for sure. And then we played, you know, all the clubs, you know, and then, uh, of course played CBGB, well, Tramps and CBGBs was big for us. We loved playing oh, there. Yeah. It was one of the, uh, 
what you, you know, one of those um, places you always wanted to play. You heard about it forever. Oh, yeah. Legendary. In there. Legendary places. So it was great to get in there. Yeah. And they had a real high, uh, system of, you know, you played Sunday, you do well Sunday, you play Monday, you do well Monday, you play Tuesday, you know, so you went right through. Okay. And worked, we worked our way through the week so we could play the weekend. <laughs> but that was, that place was great. Um, the Hilly Crystal, who owned it, was, you know, really great guy. And, and everybody who worked there were super, super people. I think from the outside, I always felt like this place is scary. Oh, yeah. And it's covered with graffiti and somehow it seemed intimidating. And all these famous bands, the Dead Boys, and, you know, Richard Hell, and everybody played there. So you television. Felt, uh, right, television. So you felt intimidated by it a bit when you first set foot in there. But yeah, when you when you realize all these great people, the people who worked there were so great and welcoming that it really made it just a homey place. I felt like it was one of our home bases when we played. Oh, cool. And we played there a lot. Um and I'm still friends where my wife and I, Monique and I are still great friends with this uh, woman, Allison Aguiar, who was a waitress there back in the early days. And we oh, know wow. her, her family, you know, like I became friends with her and we just stayed friends. So that is awesome. Trivia, that- trivia from, this is one of the main reasons to be in a band too. You meet so many great people. Oh yeah. It's, it's, I did the uh, typical, you know, like high school, college band thing when never took lessons and all, but I look back on it as so much fun. I can't even imagine what it's got to be like to be playing places like CBGBs and, and meeting some of these amazing people that, that have become lifelong friends. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, um, that's really what happened. Uh, and when you say that, I think of our first record we produced with Chris Butler. Chris was the lead songwriter behind the waitresses and oh, you know, he wrote okay. Christmas rapping. Yeah, and I, I know a boy's like, those were his like major hits that he wrote. And I was a fan prior to meeting him. And then, uh, through a mutual acquaintance we met and, uh, he produced our first record and, uh, and we're still friends today. You know, oh, we're awesome. great friends. And he's, he's, yeah, he's just a super talented guy. And he's like us. He's still churning out new material, new, great, catchy material. <laughs> I'll, you know what? I'll have to reach out. Cause that would be a, he'd be a fun guy to talk to. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. He'd love to talk to you. Yeah. That he, all- he's, he's great to talk to. He's out in Ohio and he'd moved back to his home land of Ohio. Not too long ago from New Jersey. No, man. Yeah, everybody's leaving. <laughs> I, I, I got still got a bunch of fa- well, not a bunch anymore, but still have a had a lot of family there, and they're like, ah, oh, well, I'm getting out. I don't know, it's getting a little expensive for for my family, I guess. To uh, live where in Jersey? Or- yeah, in New, yeah, in New yeah. Jersey, they're all moving to like Pennsylvania. <laughs> yeah, well, you hear of everyone leaving New York now. I, I read the articles; it's incredible. Uh, the vacancy rate sounds wild, but maybe yeah. that'll be good in the end. Maybe you know there'll be more cheaper places in the long run who knows yeah it's kind of like hitting reset on new york maybe hopefully some of the venues can come back too that's yeah because that was why you know back in the 80s when you had cbs and all these venues there were just so many more places to play there's still places but it felt like there were many more oh yeah the rents were cheaper and you could it was easier to have a live club yeah, and then I, I don't know what's open and what's closing. I, I live in Virginia now, so I'm you know, unfortunately I don't get a chance to get up that way very often. And when I do, I don't get a chance to get into the city to go see shows too much. So I don't. I remember going to places like the Knitting Factory and Brownies, and and you know I just don't know if those places are going to be able to bounce back. Yeah, yeah. I mean Brownies, yeah, it's gone, and uh, 
I mean, Knitting Factory, I don't know. They had moved to Brooklyn. I, I don't know. But all places we, uh, you're saying all great venues that I loved. Brownies, we had great shows there. Oh, yeah. It's a small uh, Knitting Factory, we played a few shows. And then there's been the upstairs one in Houston. And then there was the one, they moved down on Broadway. They had, they had a space and then they moved out to Brooklyn. But okay, okay. Anyway, yeah. You know, um, all good venues. Yeah, <laughs> classic places. Now, as I was going through your older material, I started noticing that one of the first things that would would catch me and and make me decide to listen to a a song in particular were the names of the songs (laughs) they're amazing i mean you've got songs like tiger pudding what did you hide in the potato barn blood is worthless (laughs) i mean that 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 made me like okay i've got to i've got to hear this but then (laughs) when when i got into the song it's I mean, you, you've got some pretty heavy riffs there, like, like especially, particularly, like, Tiger Pudding. first i mean is, is it is there a, a a process are you coming up with these riffs or is it a, a vocal a, a lyrical idea that's coming through and then you, you solidify yeah. it up? well let's see i mean it varies from song to song yeah but i think often i am using you know i think it's a paul mccurney scrambled eggs story you know, where he's singing <laughs> yeah. that say yes yesterday right yeah yeah scram uh he's singing just random words i think I would often start that way where I'm just, I got a riff, I use nonsense words first, but then I'm thinking, and then I'm writing down other ideas. I'm recording riffs and sort of random lyrics on one hand. And then on, in a book, I'm maybe writing different song ideas down. And then somehow I'm thinking, Oh wait, now this piece, this little riff would probably go with this idea. Well, and trying it out. So, um, you know, sometimes it just feels like you just have all these ideas jostling around in your head and they sort of come together from my end. I mean, sometimes you'll have an idea like there should be a song about this and I'm going to sit down and I'm going to just write this song about whatever it is, that one (laughs) idea and boom, you knock it out. Yeah. But, um, but, uh, yeah, often I think it's, you have a, a, a riff and I have some just random words that make no sense. And then it just comes together with other ideas that are separate. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Oh, we're in for a long one. A long weekend, that is. And you deserve to spend it on the couch with a glass of something good. Luckily, there's Drizzly, the number one app for alcohol delivery. With Drizzly, you can compare prices on the biggest selection of beer, wine, and spirits. Then get them delivered quickly. So download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Well, it's a really unique sound because you get the, the heaviness of the of, and I'm gonna you know I'm going back to Tiger Pudding because that's a, that's got a great riff, but the lyrics are just so catchy and a lot of times you'll hear music and it's got a great riff, but the lyrics just don't stick with you. They're just 
I don't want to say throwaway, but they don't seem to be as important to whoever's writing the song as the music was. And I definitely don't get that feeling with you guys because the music is great. But then the lyrics, there's a lot of thought put into those lyrics because you've got a, you've got a lot of humor involved in it and a lot of interesting ideas coming out of your lyrics. Oh, great. Yeah. I mean, I always thought totally invested in the lyrics and trying to come up with clever ideas and different thoughts and uh, yeah. take it beyond just, you know, I love you and whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and then, I mean, the band really, I mean, Al and Mark, these guys are bringing it alive with those heavy guitar sounds. Yeah. Then you've got songs like Blood is Worthless, which has, and I don't get this chance to say this often enough on, on any podcast, it's got a really catchy string section. And there, I feel like, I mean, Mark Lerner should get full credit on all the strings and the uh, horns. He's just this great arranger. I feel like I'm, again, lucky to work with these guys who I can take this rudimentary song and come in and then I'll say like, okay, wait, you know, here's what we hear. And it's, it's just been a good marriage of voices because they can really bring these songs to another level. So Mark, especially with those strings are so catchy that part. I mean, I really can't take credit for that part at all because Mark sat down and go, you know, how about this? You know, and it's like, bam, it hits you. You're right. It's great. I wish I could say that about more bands. You've got a great string section. <laughs> that I, I always I love strings. Oh, great, great. All right, so um, yeah, so it's I great did, when you have you know these complementary parts to the song, you just bring it alive like that. Well, yeah, and it, it, it's it makes the song more complex. I'm sure to 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 perform. And and I feel like on this new one with the horns, it's the same thing. Mark really sent in with the three horn players. Who, if you're recording, can I say their names here? Oh, yeah, yeah. They're fantastic. Jackie Coleman on trumpet, Kevin Moringer on trombone, and uh, Drew Krasner on the alto sax. I mean, just they really uh, contributed great songs to our latest album, Satsuma. So, uh, you know, and again, Mark worked with them and came up with those parts. And I just feel like, again, it's one of these things where your song is at one level without the horn section and then with the horn section, it just brought it up to a whole nother level. Let's talk about Satsuma then for a second. First of all, how did you choose that title for the album? Because that's, what is that? It's like a Japanese fruit. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's really like an orange. (laughs) And uh, I mean, I just really like the words, but uh, the honest reason is I also love uh, the mighty boosh. I don't know if you know them, that they're an English comedy duo. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, and the, they refer to Satsuma a couple times in the show 
there's one line he says to his partner. He goes, you know, you're about as edgy as a Satsuma, which I thought was really funny. Oh. And then they have a they have a Satsuma fight in their underwear that I always thought was funny. <laughs> this stuff, I don't know if I have to tell everybody, but that's the real, I don't know, somehow Satsuma was on my mind. It seemed like a good, strong, interesting, weird word, and I had a funny association with it. It is, but you know, and what I like is that it kind of follows the rest of your discography. You know, it, it's something that's a little out of left field, but it works. Yeah, I did feel like it was like, you know, blam, Satsuma. Yeah. <laughs> like a name of a, a volcano. <laughs> Krakatoa, Satsuma. That's but awesome. it's a, and a nice orange. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and means. Mark, we give Mark full license to do the art too. He, he so it seems like Mark's, Mark's responsible, it sounds like, for most of our success here. He, um, <laughs> he, he designed the cover too and came up with the great rotting fruit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you guys, uh, kind of a shocking image, but uh, it all seemed to work for us. Is, and, uh, the packaging, besides the, the interesting artwork, you're also adding, um, recipe, like, like drink recipes in the, in, yeah. in the physical copies, right? Yeah. And I, I do think because of this whole lockdown, the whole outbreak of COVID that we had more time. I think we would have done a longer album. We started before the lockdown and we started before March and the spring and we were together and recorded most of the basic tracks. And then the outbreak hits and we're all in lockdown. And I think to me, a lot of that drove us building this into sort of a bigger, more elaborate project because we had more time to think about it. And we felt like, well, what can we do to make this special? So I felt like we were all sitting around saying, hmm, we all have ideas here. So we brought in, you know, there's six songs, there's six original artists who we, we know well and who we you know, reached out to and said, hey, just make us a great piece of artwork inspired by the song. So you have that in the book. Booklet. And then we reached out to friends who, you know, enjoy making drinks. And then they, everyone was drinking heavily now. <laughs> so. I, yeah. <laughs> I've, I've read an article the other day that uh, since so many people are working from home, instances of drinking on the job have skyrocketed. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. You know, I mean, we're trying to promote responsible alcoholism. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so what kind of drinks are, are you guys putting in, in there? What, 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 uh, what are some favorites for you? Oh, well, I, uh, the, the, you know, we play at bar best a lot, this bar in Brooklyn. Do you know that bar? No, I'm not familiar with that one. Um, it's a great bar. It's been there for, I, I think 18 years or so. A friend of ours runs it. And it's, it's a great musical venue, really specializes in world music. Oh. Um, they, uh, but anyway, the bartender there who we know through or the owner um, was nice enough to come up with a couple of the drinks, the one for the Bluebird. And there is a French, it's a French, uh, our friend who owns Barbès is French. Okay. And this drink, the Bluebird is French and that has curacao and something gin in it. And oh, wow. that's a nice one. But uh, there's a, he, the guy at Barbès, the bartender came up with a drink for our song. The ocean is a black and rolling tongue.
black and rolling tongue. He, and the drink is great. I mean, I made it, uh, it's mezcal and some sweet vermouth <laughs> and a lemon. And, oh, it's got a little fernet branca. Do you know that fernet branca is like a bitter? Oh, yeah. Herbal liqueur. And um, anyway, it, it sounds at first, I was like, I don't know. But then I made one of those and I thought, this one is great. Yes. <laughs> that one's absolutely fantastic. <laughs> so it was great. These people, it's great that Barbest, the bartender, did it. And then a few other friends. Uh, came up with really great cocktail uh-huh. ideas. So I feel like it's, a, you know, we just really had fun with this whole project and we made the whole packaging into a taller book format with the art and the recipes and the lyrics. And so it's more of a, uh, you know, almost like an art object rather okay. than just a CD. I mean, we're, I feel like we're getting more interest from our fans on this than the usual CD because I don't CDs are, nobody seems to care about CDs anymore. So oh, that here, hurts. here we have that hurts you know, something that's more of a, 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 you know, a limited edition book with the CD in it. And it's a, like, oh, well, this is different. So Yeah, and it's a book with cocktail recipes in it. Right. You can't go wrong with that. <laughs> Forget the music. Yeah. <laughs> we want the cocktails. <laughs> this is the best cookbook I ever bought. Yeah, right, but, right. There's a CD in here. There's yeah. music in here, too. Wait a minute. <laughs> oh, so you're saying that you guys started this before the lockdown and everything happened. Was it recorded and, and finished before everything kind of ground to a halt? All the basic tracks you know, bass, drums, guitar were down and my vocals were down, fortunately. Cause, and then I live most of the time in Seattle and keep coming back to New York oh, wow. right now. So once it got locked down, I wasn't, I couldn't come back at all. And I haven't been back since, you know, probably January or something. Oh, wow. Um, but hopefully soon, you know, can get back and we wanted to work on new material soon and just sort of hunker down altogether and make sure we're safe and do that. But anyway, so before the lockdown, we had all the basic tracks. And then after the virus hit, we did, we were able to do overdubs long distance. I know Mark and Dave would send in tracks to Al from wherever location they have, they're upstate and yeah. they'd send tracks down to Mark, uh, down to Al in New York city. So, I mean, you could do, so we, it, was, it was good. We had all the basic fundamental tracks down and then they could do overdubs sort of long distance. Oh, okay. Okay. And the horns fortunately were down too, because the horns getting the horns together all in one room, um, I think is was just much better. I don't know how we would have done it. Oh gosh. Yeah. That would have been hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so now, this is, there's six songs on the album and you've got the cocktails and the art. Is, would you consider this a full album or an EP or something in between albums? Are you, are you working on new music? <laughs> I mean, this is an EP and let me say too, uh, Matt, that uh, a lot of the songs are, from this Bushwick book club project that I do. It's a um, project started by a friend, Susan Wong, who brings together all these different musical artists to write a song about a book. And then she'll do a show, you know, based on that. So cool. Like um, the vacancy for a bluebird song on our album is based on Kurt Vonnegut's a man without a country. Okay. And 
and that song when she did a show and about 10 different artists got together and presented their song based on that book, on that Kurt Vonnegut book. And so I had my song and then I keep doing these shows with her and all her different artists that she, she brings together just a diverse crew of different people each show okay. to, you know, write, write a new original song. Wow. So there's five of the six songs are all based on books. Wow. Um, from the Bushwick book club project. Um, that's so, yeah, a great so that's idea. Good. And that whole project really pushes you to think in a different way. I mean, I wouldn't come up with these ideas, uh, you know, if, <laughs> if she hadn't said like, you know, gotta write a song about this book. You, you don't you think in new ways. You think in new ideas. So I think it's, it's, it's a really great uh, project. That is fantastic. That's a, and that's an amazing idea. I really and like it's taken it. off. Um, she, it started in Bushwick, Brooklyn, and there's branches now in Seattle, for sure. Seattle's got a huge one going, and they, they really take it seriously. And I've played that one, too. And there's one in L.A., which I've played also. And uh, there's one in London. So, so people have uh, embraced the idea, picked up the baton, and started their own branches that of the awesome. Bushwick Book Club in all these different cities. That is I don't know exactly how many there are now, but there's, you know, several around the country and then even in London and maybe she, if Susan were on the phone, she could say, you know, another, there might be a couple other, oh, there's one in Sweden. That's oh, really wow. active. So it's international now. Man. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, and it's great for musicians because they meet uh, through the network. You know, if you're touring or traveling, you can sort of call up your corresponding Bushwick book club, you know, people. Yeah. If you participated, you can say, Hey, I'm in town playing a gig or I'm trying to set up something. That is awesome. I would, I'd, I'd love to see him set something up like that in DC. That would, I would love to go see. One oh of those yeah. Shows. And, uh, yeah, she said, I, I should check if there is one. I can get back to you and email you. Um, that if you yeah. want to help set one up, <laughs> I would love to, I, I, it's funny because I actually know the, the uh, the owner of the DC improv. So that might be actually be a really good venue if they don't have one set up yet. You're the owner of it. Oh, I wish. No, <laughs> I know oh. the, I know the owner of, of the, the owner. Uh, of DC improv. Yeah. She's, fantastic lady and uh they're always looking for really cool new things to do so that yeah i mean that'd be good because he can do it with just i mean usually it's just uh you know people with either the piano and singing or a guitar you know it's not not usually a group or anything setting up so it's you know quick setup yeah yeah um one after one act after the other getting up doing one song based on the on the book you know, she puts out the word in advance so people who are on the mailing list can read the book, too, and then come and say, you know, now I'm going to hear the songs about this book I read. That would be great. Yeah, definitely let me get, send me some more information because uh, if I'll get up with uh, Allison, and if that's something that she's interested in, I'll see if I can get everything together. And, and I would love to see something like that in D.C. That sounds like so much fun. and so that'd be great i should talk to her because she's from uh, susan who started it is actually from uh oh what is it uh silver spring area oh okay you know so she she i think grew up around there and so uh you know we're on fang records and chris rail he started fang and we've been on his little label forever he's from silver spring as well oh man so there's there's a good um I know that's all in the area down there, right? Yeah. I think that would all be sort of like good connections. And they, they both have good uh, connections down in that area still. And uh, once hopefully things start opening up again, the people are going to be looking for stuff because you can't just, you know, the club can't just start booking immediately. You know, they, they can book, but as, as you well know, they aren't going to be having shows immediately. So having something yeah. in the works and and something you can probably you may even be able to do it in more of an improv type of way too 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that improv type of venue works. I mean, that she's taking the show and put it on zoom, you know, oh, that's for cool. now, you know, there's been a couple shows that were, and then all people from around the world are actually jumping in, you know, she is sort of a director, wow. you know, I'll get on and do my song on zoom. And then now we're going to London and here's Amanda Thorpe in London playing her song. And that then is she patches her in. So yeah, it's been working out even during even during the outbreak. Oh, are you jumping in on those? Yeah, I've done a couple of those Zoom ones too. Oh man, this that'd be cool. I would love to see one of those. I have to I have to keep an eye out for that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, would, yeah. So on this Satsuma record, five of the songs are from those shows. That is fantastic. And, uh, All right, which which one isn't? Uh, the, uh, the, when the big bell calls. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so is that something you had, uh, you were working on beforehand or is that just something you, you wrote to round out the album? Uh, no, it was something just rattling around. And it was good to have one that was just all from me direct again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Usually all the songs are like that. Okay. So, and that was a, that one was fun to sort of more of a straight ahead country one, but I think it has its quirks, even though it's definitely a country song. We'll milk the cows now, sun is in the yard. We'll clean the barn out, time is running short. Leaves, they won't stay in the trees. I know it's impossible, I know it's impossible. I see bullets in the northern breeze. I Oh yeah. Now, where can people go and, and find the album? How can they order it and uh, keep tabs on you guys on social media? Yeah, I mean, I think the best is to get the album. Go to lifeinablender.net. And uh, there's actually a lifeinablender.com. There's another group, Life in a Blender, that came after us. Are you it's serious? It's not music, though. It's about uh, blended families, uh, kids and families from, you know, if they're, if they're divorced and, you know, stepkids uh, all living together, that kind of thing. Wow. Blended. That's, that's a- so anyway, it's funny because they're kind of big now, too. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. Jeez. So anyway, but for our record, go to lifeinablender.net. And uh, and to promote it too, we got a couple videos. Uh, Mark had uh, Nancy make videos too. See again, Mark Lerner. Yeah, you he, go. <laughs> he made a video with his wife Nancy for this uh, Soul Deliverer song. Okay, and uh, that is what? What am I going to say about that? <laughs> <laughs> it's probably on YouTube or on your website. <laughs> Um, it, it's on YouTube and yeah, it's on YouTube and you can definitely, you don't you hear that. I'm just, I'm just reading something else. Sorry. Distracted. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, Larry, Larry Fessenden is doing a, uh, song for the bluebird song that we have. He's doing a video for that. Oh, cool. Okay. And Larry's a great, uh, horror film director. And, uh, we've known him a long, long time. And he did our, we had a song about Frankenstein that we did a couple of years ago and he directed that and put it together. And that was absolutely great. And I've seen the rough cut of this new one for the Bluebird song. And it's, it's fantastic too. Oh, awesome. And people will be drinking, listening to the music, looking at the awesome artwork. Is there a, a social media presence on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook? 
there is we have a twitter feed and facebook we have all that i don't know if we have instagram that's a good question i don't think we we need to set up an instagram oh yeah but we're definitely on twitter and facebook if you want to follow us on that that would be great and those links are probably on the website right so you go to the website and then it'll have the little symbols you click on those and it'll take you right to your account it, it, it should do all that but yeah plus i think if you go facebook life in a blender or twitter life in a blender you'll see it pretty quickly you're gonna find one of two <laughs> things and you can feel free to follow right. them both you're either gonna join the club <laughs> for blended families or you're gonna see us exactly <laughs> well Donald, thank you so much man this has been a lot of fun and, and you, you brought up some great memories of jersey for me so that i, I really uh, appreciate great. talking <laughs> It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.